Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about sugar cravings after quitting alcohol. And I searched for a really long time to find the right guest to talk about this. This question about, oh my God, I quit drinking. Now I'm craving sugar all the time. Some women are really worried about it. They feel like They've just transferred the addiction from alcohol to the addiction to sugar. We are going to talk about today why that is not the case, why a sugar addiction is not at all like alcohol addiction. But I've also got a dietitian who also knows a lot about recovery and is sober herself, who is going to talk about how to manage sugar cravings after quitting drinking. This is something that so many clients of mine ask about. I went through it too. And I want to make sure that I'm providing on the podcast really solid information about everything that comes up from experts. 
So I reached out to my guest today, Dana Burns. She is a registered dietitian who works with women and men recovering from substance use, eating disorders, and emotional overeating. Dana facilitates nutrition groups in addiction centers. She also does private coaching for those struggling with their eating habits or relationship with food. She's been sober for four and a half years and is a retired Chardonnay drinker. Dana lives in Lake Worth, Florida with her husband and two boys who are both COVID babies. So, wow, they must be really young, Dana. I have a one and a three-year-old. Oh my God. I remember those days and my kids are six years apart. I cannot imagine having kids that young, that close. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, but I definitely need to carve out that mommy time, that me time, because it, it's a lot of energy. I mean, I'm sometimes I'm trying to get them to watch a 20 minute show because I just need to do the dishes. They're wild. They're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I can only so imagine. Horrible. And my kid like wasn't sort of able to watch a show. I realize that makes me sound like a really bad parent. <laughs> okay. Until he was like three or four. You know what I mean? Like I, I remember going on a plane to Hawaii when he was two years old. And I was like, please, please watch a show. And he was having none of it. Right, right. So yeah, I got super energetic boys. Uh, I just feed them all day. And uh, well, unless they're in daycare, that helps as well. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> helps a lot. That helps yeah. a lot. So I reached out to you because I was searching for a guest who both was a dietitian who had, had expertise in addiction, who had expertise in sobriety, I would say, 95% of my guests are sober. I really like talking to people who've personally been through it, haven't just sort of necessarily helped people through it, but who understand the emotional side of it from personal experience. And I wanted to find someone who was sort of not immersed in diet culture, because that's a lot of what I see, who understand emotional eating without judgment. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, sugar is an addiction, you have to deal with it, cut it out completely. And I thought that you were just that really good combination. So thank you for responding to me. I emailed you out totally cold out of the blue. It is such an honor to talk to you and to be on this podcast today. I cannot tell you enough because I really, I really am open about not only being sober, but also struggling with an eating disorder in the past. And I'm now working in different addi addiction treatment centers in South Florida. And I'm able to be really authentic and to also use my background in nutrition to help the greater good, which is the recovery community and, and help like-minded people who also, you know, have struggled with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, it's really a perfect mix. And I never thought I would be here. I started out as a dietitian in hospitals and nursing homes, doing home health, and it never really spoke to me. But now I feel like I'm doing work that I feel, yeah, really, really lights me up. So I love it. Well, so tell me, I know we've talked before we jumped on the podcast, 
But for anyone listening, just tell us a little bit about your background and your work. And I know you were doing that work before you actually sort of quit Chardonnay, quit drinking. Yes, yes, yes. And I was actually the manager at a big hospital down the street. And that's when I was drinking the most. I would have wine when I came home as a, as a reward in a way for doing a good job, as a way of coping and relaxing. I didn't think it was a problem until the last year of drinking. And then I started moderating. I, st- I told myself I'll only drink on the weekends. I'll only drink two, three days a week. And that never worked out. I um, found myself doing 30-day challenges or you know, quitting for um, a month, but never more than a month. Mm-hmm. And finally, one day I just had enough. I felt like I felt like it was a coping mechanism that was not serving me. If anything, it was holding me back from living my best life and having enough energy to do what I wanted to do. I also wanted to get pregnant at that time. And I, my body, my hormones were not regular. So I thought that would help. Uh, and it did. <laughs> but I uh, finally decided I was done with alcohol. It was one morning on the beach when I was hungover. And I just decided that was day one. Mm-hmm. And that was four and a half years ago. And it gives me chills because I never would have imagined now working in the addiction field uh, I and and being sober for this long. It just feels so good. The first six months were definitely tricky. I'd had a lot of cravings. I would, you know, go to the beach and want a wine or beer. But I navigated that with the help of honestly, a lot of books and podcasts. I didn't do a specific program, but I just threw myself into everything and anything I could find. Uh, yeah, I didn't go to any like in-person meetings. Um, I had some like, I dabbled in different like support groups online, but nothing consistent. Yeah. I just kind of floated around and just absorbed as much as possible. Yeah. But once that six month mark, five or six month mark came by, I felt like I wasn't thinking about alcohol as much. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, those cravings weren't there. And since then it's felt, yeah, it's just felt like I'm a person who doesn't drink yeah, as opposed to someone that was trying to not drink or trying to cut back or taking a break from alcohol. Now I am someone who doesn't drink. And that shift in mindset around five or six months was a big deal for me. And I think that was, uh, that was a turning point in my life. And surprisingly enough, that was the time that I felt confident in working with people in addiction and also eating disorders. Before then, I really didn't want to touch that. I didn't want to be in that field. Uh, I felt like it was too close to home for me because I had struggled with an eating disorder in college. But yeah, right around that time, I felt confident. And then I really felt like I was able to make an impact and be open and authentic about my personal experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a huge difference. And one of the things that I believe is true is If you want to stop drinking and you're not able to, if it's not working for you, all that means is you don't have the right level 
of support yet. So for some people, and I know many, many of them who told me like guides and podcasts, that is enough for them to, you know, Mm -hmm. stop drinking, feel really good about it, get out of that cycle. For other people, it's online programs. For other people, it's one-on-one coaching. And for other people, it's in-person meetings or a program. And then for other people, it's addiction centers, inpatient, outpatient, whatever works for them. So, you know, gathering all the information is amazing. And I feel like, you know, there's this process of going down, adding one layer of support and then another layer of support if you need it, and then another layer of support. So it is very cool that you did it with sort of the podcast information, um, identity-based habit shift that you did. And I'm sure in the addiction center, you see people who need more support than that. Absolutely. And detox can be extremely dangerous. You know, a lot of people have to be on seizure medication to prevent having seizures. And it's a... Um, yeah, it can be very dangerous. So they need to be in the clinical setting. And so I see clients in detox centers, in residential PHP, and then all the way down to outpatient programs. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wonderful seeing a client go from, you know, detox all the way down to outpatient and just they're exercising, they're eating better and really incorporating all these different tools that they learn in, in living their best life. I love that about this work too. And I'm sure with coaching, you see people transform in, you know, six months, a year, uh, and you can really be there with them throughout their journey. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible to see just getting rid of, you know, alcohol, getting rid of the way they're living, how they're coping, how they're rewarding themselves, and then everything that comes with it, removing that really enables them to shift in all other areas of their life, including how they think about themselves and how they talk about themselves, their confidence, their relationships, the way they interact with the world, and also really raising the level of what they think is possible for them in the world and what they deserve. I mean, that is very, very cool. Well said. Well said. Yeah. And sometimes alcohol can be that low hanging fruit. So if you're able to get sober and stay sober, then different uh, ideas and opportunities can pop up. Maybe you start exercising or maybe you start cooking more at home or maybe you start doing therapy or coaching and really getting to the bottom of uh, emotional trauma or you know, trauma from the past that has prevented you from truly healing. Yeah. And so yeah, for me, I, I remember this was maybe a year before I got sober. I made a list of all the different memories or regrets in the past. And I remember looking at this list because I just wanted to write it all down, like get it down on paper, right? Because these things can sometimes pop up in our mind. And, and I realized that all of these things were associated with alcohol or I was drunk during this time. So once I was able to remove alcohol from my life, then I was able to really get to the bottom of 
my emotions, how I was feeling and bring this up because it's important to, to identify these, the way that we cope and identify the ways that we distract ourselves or numb ourselves from these tough emotions. Because I meet a lot of people that, that in sobriety, especially early sobriety will do that with food. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dig in to sugar cravings. And to start, can we talk about what happens when you drink in terms of what that does? And then also why people have sugar cravings once they stop drinking? Yes. Yes. So when you are drinking, we're going to be talking about alcohol. I think that's, yes. uh, but also with drugs as well. When you are drinking, your dopamine levels spike. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter uh, that triggers the reward center of your brain. And your dopamine levels will spike. Also, your blood sugars may spike a little bit as well, especially if you are drinking something with a mixed drink or you're drinking like beer that may have more carbs. Uh, and so you are kind of riding this high and then afterwards your blood sugars can plummet and your dopamine levels can plummet. And this roller coaster just continues. Um, alcohol as well can negatively affect your liver and your pancreas. So your metabolism can be disrupted. Your insulin sent, your insulin levels can be, uh, you know, more of a roller coaster. And so there's a lot going on here in your body. Your body is just trying to do its best to metabolize the alcohol, yeah. which is a priority. You know, it's it, food gets kind of pushed to the back burner. When your body, your liver is trying to metabolize the alcohol, the food isn't converted into glucose properly. And so your blood sugars will drop. It's just a lot of work on your body. And so when you get sober, when you get sober, your blood sugars may be a little more sensitive. This is super common. This doesn't mean that person may have diabetes. No, this is just blood sugars may be a little more of a roller coaster, just a little more sensitive in early sobriety. You may be more apt to have hypoglycemia, which is you may feel this if you are lightheaded or dizzy or shaky. Uh, and then also your blood sugars may spike a little bit more, especially if you're eating more sugar. Mm -hmm. And so the blood sugars are sensitive. Also your dopamine levels may be lower than baseline in early sobriety, mm -hmm. which means you may be more apt to grab those quick fixes. And those quick fixes are sugar, caffeine, nicotine, just to name a few. Yeah. So when, like, let's talk about sort of the first week, the first two weeks after you stop drinking, whether you've been sort of binge drinking or nightly drinking or whatever it is, what's happening in your body right then with dopamine, with blood sugar, with all the things you mentioned? Because I assume it like changes as you get further away from alcohol. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it takes time. It takes time for 
these the blood sugars to balance out and your dopamine levels to get to a place where you know you, you're not feeling as low uh but your dopamine and serotonin as well could be very low but yeah in early sobriety you may be feeling like your appetite is changing you may be a little more moody or irritable uh and so with you know these these changes your body is recovering and healing you want to give it all the support you can. And that is where I come in with nutrition and making sure that person is hydrated, making sure they're not drinking 12 cups of coffee a day, because I see that a lot in, uh, especially in these treatment centers. Uh, and that can actually, I mean, that could kill somebody's appetite, yeah. but also it can crave, uh, crave sugar as well. And also uh, like you're tired once you stop drinking, right? You feel exhausted and we're so used to caffeine being what we reach for when we're yes. tired. Now we were just talking before we jumped on about all things caffeine. And so, um, you know, I know that as you drink more caffeine, it actually makes you drag and all of that kind of stuff as I sit here with my giant Yeti of coffee. <laughs> But all right, let's stick to the sugar and the nutrition and all that good stuff. But I hear you, more water, less caffeine. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy. But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Yes. And that's definitely a part of it because that can, that alone can help with your energy levels, can help with your mood. And when you're feeling your best, you're more likely to cook a meal at home or to have, you know, that food, that fruit or vegetable in the refrigerator that is going bad. Uh, you're more likely to reach for those things that may have more nutrition. Mm -hmm. And yes, yes. So that's very important to look at uh, the water, the caffeine. But what's, I think the most important thing to look at, especially in early sobriety, uh, is your consistency of meals. Mm -hmm. Because I see a lot of people that may be uh, wanting to lose weight in early sobriety. That first month, they want to lose a lot of weight or they want to go on a, a diet. It's it's like a whole lifestyle change. We're not drinking anymore. Let's go on a diet. Let's lose 20 pounds. And so this is, yeah, this is wonderful. I mean, you want to get healthier. 
you want to um, eat maybe more nutritious foods, but that may backfire because when you end up under eating or skipping meals or feeling deprived or restricted, then that's where the emotional eating or sugar cravings can show up. Yeah, completely. And I mean, hunger is the number one trigger, I feel like, um, always, like whenever someone wants to stop drinking, um, I always am like, you got to eat a snack at 3.30 or 4 p.m. that has some protein in it. And when you're going to a dinner party or a barbecue, even out to a restaurant, like make sure you're not hungry when you walk in because it's so much easier to order a drink if you are. Right. I think of that acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So when you're having cravings for drugs and alcohol, are you hungry? And that is the hypoglycemia that I was talking about earlier. So when your blood sugars are low, you may be a little more irritable, more sluggish. And yes, cravings for alcohol are more likely to show up. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that not only you eat regular meals, but that you're eating foods with protein and fiber and healthy fats Mm -hmm. and really focusing on those macronutrients um, in every single meal and snack. So I'm curious, like as you're talking about that, can you give me a couple of like easy examples of the type of snacks that would be good at 3.30 or 4 p.m.? Because a lot of people, and I know I was there too, are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what does it mean, you know, to have um, fiber and healthy fats and protein in a realistic way if I'm with my kids or if I'm like at the office before I head home? Yes, yes. And always having snacks on deck, snacks in the purse. This is crucial because you also don't have those alcohol calories. So even if you eat more, a little bit more in early sobriety, you may still lose some weight. So that's, you know, making sure that you are nourishing yourself. When you nourish your body, you're nourishing your brain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, healthy snacks we got, let's see here. I mean, I always have some sort of, some sort of like protein bar, kind bar or Lara bar. I have this one uh, bar, it's called the Mama Bar, and it's wonderful. It just has um, a lot of different nuts. Nuts are probably one of my top snacks because it does have protein and fiber and fat all together. Uh, Or doing some Greek yogurt with some berries or granola, doing some fruit like a banana and some peanut butter or apple and peanut butter, almond butter. Uh, These are definitely my go-tos. Having some, maybe like an apple with some cheese or uh, like a string cheese, or let's see here, or doing some like kefir and granola. That's a good one. Okay, I've never heard of kefir. It's really, I love it because it has a lot of probiotics in it. Mm -hmm. And so it strengthens strengthens your gut health. Uh, If you do some plain kefir, but put it over some granola, it's a really nice snack and it has a little bit of sugar in there too. So it may be satisfying that sweetness craving. Yeah. Uh, 
or some dried fruit. Uh-huh. Dried fruit is really good too for someone that likes something sweet, mm-hmm. like myself. I'm putting myself in that category. Oh God, I love sweet things. Like we were talking about that too. And again, like one of the things we talked about in the beginning um, when we were chatting before that recording this interview was you said a couple of things, right? Sugar triggers the same reward system as alcohol. Mm-hmm. It triggers that dopamine, but it's not anywhere near the same as like a drug or alcohol addiction, right? Like sugar isn't something that you, even though we do it, a lot of times it feels similar, right? It triggers that like guilt and shame feelings. It's, it's not like, oh my God, I'm eating a donut. I might as well be drinking because it feels out of control or it feels like, um, I'm still feeling guilt and shame. So why don't I just go back to drinking? Because people say red wine is good for your health, which by the way, I did a whole nother podcast about why that's totally bullshit. Listen to that. I'll link to it on is moderate drinking good for you? That's not true. But people are like, well, you know what I mean? Like, it's better to drink red wine than it is to eat a cupcake. So can we talk about just that? Because I thought what you said was really interesting. So triggering the same reward system feels sometimes similar with guilt and shame, but it's not the same as drugs or alcohol. Yes, yes. And I think of this book, uh, dopamine nation. Did you interview? Her? I did. I interviewed Anna Lemke and she is like, I, I was fangirling over her. I think of her book because she has a nice little graph in that, in that book, comparing chocolate, sex, cocaine, and then amphetamines like meth. And it, so sugar, chocolate can double, double the dopamine outtake or output. So it can double it. So um, I think, wait, let me see. I would have to look in the book, but I believe what she was saying in the book is that chocolate can increase the dopamine output by 50%. And then amphetamines, it was like over a thousand percent. And so it's it's nowhere close to. All right. I just found it. So I'll put it in the show notes on the webpage for this episode. Chocolate, uh, 55%, sex, 100%, nicotine, 150, cocaine, 225, and, and amphetamines. Oh my God. Why can't I say it? A thousand percent. I wish, and I'm looking here, like I wish they had alcohol and exercise in there because I know, uh, exercise can spike your dopamine too, and alcohol spikes it as well, but nowhere near the same amount, obviously, as cocaine. Yes. And it's that quick spike as well, like something like cocaine or meth. It's very quick. And so when your dopamine levels increase that quickly, they drop very quick. And so that's why in early sobriety, your dopamine levels may be very low. And that's why you're grabbing for anything to get those levels up, like sugar, uh, The difference between something like sugar addiction or feeling like you're addicted to sugar and drugs and alcohol is that the sugar is actual usable. It's usable energy for your body. Your body knows what to do with it. 
with something like alcohol, your body views it as a toxin that needs to be dealt with and secreted immediately. Uh, It doesn't use alcohol necessarily for energy. Uh, And so like comparing a donut to, you know, an alcohol and like which one's healthier, right? Like that, that I don't even, I don't even know where to start with that one. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. So uh, the dopamine levels, um, I think that with an early sobriety, when you are trying to lessen your sugar cravings, it's really important to blunt the effects of the dopamine spike. And so when you're eating something like a donut, maybe having it with some eggs or yogurt, something with a little protein or fat can help uh, yeah, blunt the effects of the dopamine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super not sure helpful. If, yeah. That's really helpful. So but yeah, you were the guilt and the shame as well. Uh, and so, yeah, that can be, that can really perpetuate the cycle of sugar cravings too. Because when you're eating these foods that you deem as unhealthy or you deem as off limits, then that guilt and shame, like I'm a bad person for eating these things that can just perpetuate the cycle. And from my from my experience that that guilt and shame doesn't propel someone into making healthier decisions. Mm-hmm. If anything, it just perpetuates the cycle of overeating and, and even binge eating as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really great. I just wanted to dive into that because it's something that comes up a lot. So can we dive into clearly sugar cravings when you quit alcohol is a thing. It's something lots of people experience. Um, it's something that a lot of women worry about. You know, I know that when I was drinking, I always said like, oh, I can have chocolate ice cream in the freezer and other people can be eating it. And like, I don't even blink an eye because, you know, I, I like salty things, like thinking that I had this amazing willpower and yet I was drinking a bottle of wine a night. And of course, when I stopped drinking all that sugar, all that time, I immediately was like, oh my God, I need a chocolate milkshake. (laughs) You know, like I was right there, but I know you have 10 tips as a dietitian to help people manage those sugar cravings in a way that they can sort of move through that. Yes, having sugar, but no, not feeling all that guilt or out of control or finding a way to manage it well. Can you kind of take us through the big ones? Yes. Yes. And I think that just before I start, I think that sugar can be a really great tool in early sobriety as well a little bit of chocolate, maybe a milkshake at a restaurant instead of drinking, that can be a really great strategy Mm -hmm. for dealing with alcohol cravings. But where it gets to be an issue is when someone feels like, yeah, they're out of control around food. They can't, uh, they feel like they can't stop. They're having a lot of guilt and shame and, or they're maybe gaining a lot of weight and they feel like, um, you know, it's, it's getting out of hand. 
Mm-hmm. That's where I come from because, you know, there are so many things that you can do within your control to help prevent these, these sugar cravings. There really is. And yeah, I think that my number one is to make sure you're not under eating. And I'm, and so just making sure that you're having consistent meals. And when I say under eating, that is not, I would not be able to tell somebody that exact amount of calories, mm-hmm. right? It's more of a feeling of being satisfied, not feeling deprived or restricted. That can be physically and mentally as well. So if you under eat, even slightly over a couple of days, that could really cause a lot of you know, emotional eating or sugar cravings at the end of the day. Your body is not only your body is desiring more. And so your body needs maybe more calories, maybe more carbs. If someone's on a low carb diet, they might be craving a lot of sugar because your body and your brain are actually missing that glucose. So that's number one. Let me just get that out of the way. Uh, The other thing is to look at whether these cravings are a physical hunger or more of an emotional craving, that emotional hunger, I like to call it. And the physical hunger can be lightheaded, dizzy. Yes, maybe your stomach is achy or empty, but it could be, you know, just feeling low energy. Noticing these hunger cues can be really important because then you can distinguish the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. If you're not physically hungry, you may want to look at what's going on. How is your body feeling? What emotion is happening? Where do you feel it? And then asking yourself, what does my body need right now? Or do I need to take a walk or call somebody? Or do I need a hug? Or do I need to meditate? I mean, I could keep going, but this is this is crucial. This is crucial because you know, I think a lot of people feel like, yeah, their sugar cravings may be uncontrollable. They just quit drinking. It's expected, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yeah. Uh, it may be something that you're just latching onto as a way of coping. I mean, I've, I've been there and I, when I stopped drinking, I really enjoyed my chocolate ice cream at the end of the night. and. Maybe some of it was sugar cravings and early sobriety, but then why did it last three years? <laughs> you, know, you know, so really looking at, you know, what are you, what are you trying to distract yourself from? Are you trying to numb? These are questions that you could either journal about or, you know, talk to another sober buddy about. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. 
Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And I also think like even beyond numbing, you know, we do need a reward at the end of the day or we feel like we need it. Like so many of us go from like, I know I'll just talk about myself when I stopped drinking, my daughter was two, my son was eight, and I worked full time. And, you know, my husband worked too. So he was super busy. And, you know, all of my self care that I used to do, like guitar lessons and Pilates and seeing my friends on a regular basis and going to the gym, like they all went out the window. So I felt very much like I did deserve something at the end of the day, right? When you wake up with kids or wake up in the middle of the night and then go to work all day and then come home and you've got dinner and dishes and bath and might have to jump back on the computer. Like you're like, I fucking deserve something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, alcohol, but then also dessert is a really easy way to get that where it doesn't take that much time. You can multitask. It's immediately available. And the one of the things that really helps is planning more time to decompress and to take care of yourself and to have things you're looking forward to during the week so that you don't feel like life is so hard and you have nothing for yourself and you deserve that because, you know, if you have a pedicure coming up and a long conversation with a girlfriend and you sit outside at lunch and read a novel, like you don't feel so strung out, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's that frantic, chaotic eating that can occur sometimes when you're maybe multitasking or you just, you really feel like you need a reward. The reward can feel immediate, but is it actually, you know, working? Is it actually working? And so, you know, if, if you're grabbing that that chocolate or that uh, whatever the dessert is, asking yourself, like, is this what I need right now? And is this going to make me feel better? Mm-hmm. And truly, in, from an emotional standpoint, this is, uh, is it something that, just pausing, just pausing for only five minutes, 10 minutes, if you can, and really thinking about what you need in that moment. Uh, And so for me, when I came home, instead of grabbing that Chardonnay, I would grab a kombucha. Mm -hmm. It was like my little treat or grabbing, um, you know, maybe a LaCroix and a fantastic and some hummus or like a nice snack. 
so having that reward in a way can be nice, but like you said, make it maybe a pedicure or like plan something exciting or plan, you know, a nice lunch date with your friend so that you can feel like you're getting a reward without that guilt and shame. Yeah. We used to have a lady, fantastic woman who came into our office uh, once a week and then twice a week. Oh my God. Because there was so much demand who gave like took over a conference room and gave 20 minute massages, like chair massages. And the company arranged it and gave her the room, but we had to pay for it, you know, which I worked at L'Oreal. It was all women, lots of working moms. Like she was booked up. Like you would get audit within 10 minutes, but you, I would go in there and block my calendar. She would always be like, Hey, goddess. I was like, Oh my God, I'll pay you just to say, Hey, goddess to me. Um, you know, when you've got little kids and she would like ask you what essential oil you wanted. And like that was my like physical senses treat reward. And you know, 20 bucks. I was like, This is so much better than a bottle of wine. I mean, that sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. And now that I've left the office, like I maybe get a massage every three months. I'm like, what the fuck? But it's it's hard to like fit an hour into your day and drive somewhere and do all those things. I know. Actually, yeah, that's my thing. I try to get it done. I try to get a massage once every couple of weeks. And yeah, that's my me time. But I find that I have to schedule it within my work week. And I have to carve out that time so that, you know, on the weekends I can be present for the kids and just be there. But um, yes, carving out that time, like you got to put it actually in your Google calendar. I find that's the only way for me to. Yeah. And I think also one of the reasons and I'm, I'm talking about this in this episode because, you know, I think that Jolene Park, who talks about gray area drinking, but she's also, um, I believe she's a functional nutritionist, but it might be something different. I'll have to look it up. She talks about how in our society, like our rewards have become bars or bakeries, um, which I found to be really true. And so I'd be like, well, a bar is better for me than a bakery when I'm trying to manage my weight, by the way, total again, total bullshit. But that like human touch of feeling taken care of as an adult that isn't your partner wanting sex or isn't your kids wanting needing you like it feels so kind yes it's all about nurturing and loving and mothering yourself and I find that nutrition and eating healthy in a way and when I say healthy just in a way that provides you with energy and a good mood nutrition can be a form of self-care and Mm self-love it really can. And so, yeah, it's, it really does because I've seen the other side when I have dealt with disordered eating, I was either starving myself or binging and purging. And that to me is a form of self-hatred in a way, you know, I just, it felt like the opposite of self-love. And so now I make it a priority to nourish myself, to nourish my brain and to really mother myself so that I could give to everyone else, my clients, my kids, my husband, who all need me so much. And 
Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because a lot of times we're like running around taking care of everyone else and not taking care of ourselves. Like even with food, right? You don't eat because, you know, I have a client who's like, oh, I don't eat until my husband comes home because that's our together time. And I feed the kids first and then I wait for him to get home and I'm starving. And I'm like, yeah, of course you are. You need to eat earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Listening to your hunger cues and honoring your hunger, honoring what your body is telling you because our body gives us messages all the time. And I find that with my clients who have a history of uh, using drugs and alcohol, they're not used to listening to their body. They may have been numbing for a really long time. And so even just getting used to your new hunger and fullness cues, getting used to what your body is telling you in terms of energy levels or mood or anxiety levels, this can be, and this is really mindfulness. This is a huge part of what I do Mm -hmm. because I find that when you're more in tune with your body, and listening to these messages and honoring these messages that you're more likely to feel feel nourished and to grab those foods that make you feel energetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's really, really important. So let me um, let me go through the rest of my yeah, tips please. here. That's okay. So with um you know, eating regular meals, making sure that you're getting some form of protein or fiber in every meal and snack. So with protein, whether that's plant-based or animal protein, doesn't matter whether it's nuts and beans and seeds or fish and eggs, it's up to you. But really those that protein can help stabilize your blood sugars. And when you're stabilizing your blood sugars throughout the day, you are less likely to crave sugar especially at night and fiber can do the same thing. And so fiber in fruits and vegetables and oatmeal and whole grains and sweet potatoes and beans, uh, seeds, something like chia seeds or flax seeds, that fiber can help stay, help you stay satiated but stabilizing the blood sugars. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Like there was a while back, you know how you go through phases of being like, Oh, I heard chia seeds are great. So I'm going to buy chia seeds. And I, I make a smoothie every morning. Like I actually really love it, but I tried putting chia seeds in it that I was like, this feels really stupid. Like, does it actually make a difference? Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, 
You don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. So chia seeds are incredible. Yeah. I actually do. I mean, they're more of a, they're more medicinal if someone has constipation, but because they do have so much fiber, but they have omega-3 fatty acids in them, which are really important for brain function. And they have a little bit of protein, but the chia seeds, they become a gel. Some people love the chia pudding, but I can't do that. So I put a little bit of chia seeds in muffins or my oatmeal in the morning. Uh, so they really are a fantastic ingredient because of all the fiber and the omega-3s. But yeah, if, if someone is, um, be careful though, because it is a lot of fiber. Like if mm -hmm. someone just starts taking like, or just starts eating chia pudding all of a sudden, they might have some GI issues. Okay. I'm just like, this is me like getting all my nutrition questions yeah. answered. Okay. So I mean, that's actually, that's actually a fad I could get behind. Which one? Chia seed, seed fad? I, I, I do. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then later, let's talk about the advice that's totally bogus that people might hear, because I think that's really important, too. But okay, protein, fiber, lean mm -hmm. meats, all yes. those things you mentioned. Yes, yeah. And just having those fiber and protein with every meal so that you can feel more satiated and your blood sugars can be more stable throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And when you do this, your dopamine levels don't spike as much. So think of if someone ate a big bowl of pasta with a soda on the side, mm -hmm. a lot of carbs, sugar, ultimately their blood sugars will spike, but also their dopamine levels will spike higher as opposed to maybe getting rid of that soda and having some pasta, but also adding some chicken and vegetables and possibly having like a smaller portion of pasta, the dopamine levels won't spike as much. And so we're trying to keep everything very stable and consistent, especially in early sobriety, where we're trying to get everything back to baseline, feel a little more, yeah stable throughout the day. Okay. Yeah. And so another thing is to make sure, well, we, we touched on this briefly, but making sure you're drinking at least half your body weight in ounces of water. So for, for women, it's typically around eight to 10 cups a day of water or sparkling water or unsweet tea 
or tea, but yes, this is, this is crucial Mm -hmm. because this is the number one thing in terms of energy levels that you want to look at. If you, um, yeah, if you're finding that your energy is plummeting, especially in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. water, caffeine, making sure you don't go over that 300 milligrams of caffeine a day, uh, because this does dehydrate you. This can cause a little more anxiousness or affect sleep. And so cutting off your caffeine at one or two in the afternoon can be really helpful. Um, and then it also ties together to sugar cravings as well. Okay. If someone's cool. a lot of caffeine, they could crave sugar at night. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so just noticing, noticing when you or choosing your foods, notice the added sugars, because there are a lot of hidden sugars in food. And when you're, when you're sneaking sugar into your diet, even without knowing, so something like yogurt or different sauces, or yeah, like something like barbecue sauce or ketchup, or not that we're eating so much ketchup, tomato sauce, like salad dressings, there's sugar in so many different ingredients, bread, And if we are able to choose those foods without as much sugar, we're less likely to crave sugar. Mm -hmm. The more you eat, the more you want in a sense. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Making sure like with my clients, I make sure that they are sleeping well, that they are getting some exercise because exercise can help stabilize your blood sugars and also help with mood, of course. Mm in early sobriety. So those are key. I'm really about looking at the whole person. What are your habits? What does your lifestyle look like instead of just focusing on the food itself? Because it all it all matters. Yeah. Our emotions, our you know, exercise habits, that all that all is so crucial in looking at when I'm talking to a client. Yeah. And so what do you do just out of curiosity when you go into rehab centers? Like, do you sort of talk about the nutritional tips that you're talking about now, like educating them about how to take care of their body now that they've removed whatever substance it is? Yes. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm doing nutrition groups with five people. Sometimes it's a group of 20 people. And I'll meet people who are super excited about nutrition. And then I'll meet people who don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it may be just explaining the importance of nutrition and how it can affect our, affect our mental health. Mm-hmm. Or uh, it could be talking about gut health. It could be doing more of a, a mindfulness or a mindfulness meditation or a class on intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So getting those clients in tune with listening to their body and understanding what their body needs. Uh, and so, yeah, but I think for the most part, I do a lot of nutrition education, but I really base it off what the clients need in the moment. Like if I have an overwhelmingly amount of, uh, I have five, 10 different clients that are all speaking to me about sugar cravings, we're going to talk about that. If I have a couple clients that have had a history with an eating disorder, we're going to talk more about the intuitive eating or mindfulness component. So I really like to 
be flexible in my approach. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's fun. I mean, it really keeps me on my toes. I always go into a group with a plan, Mm -hmm. but then sometimes if that, if we don't do that plan or we talk about something completely different, I love that because then I feel like I'm speaking to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I interrupted your tips. I was just curious. Oh, no. We're, yeah, no, that's it. That's it. The exercise component, sleep. Yeah. And if anyone's struggling with this, I really encourage them to look at their nutrition, like something like sleep. Look at your nutrition. Look at your caffeine. Uh, look at your you know, bedtime routine. But also understand that in early sobriety, your sleep, your exercise habits may not be the best. So just keep going and trust the process, trust the process because it will get better and your body will heal. And as long as you are able to support it in a way. Yeah. So supplements, supplements are something that that's my last tip is to, um, you know, supplement as needed because I get this a lot, especially with sugar cravings. There's a lot out there about glutamine or doing, I think that's the biggest one, really, you know, supplementing with multivitamin or B vitamins. And everyone is different. One person may not need as many supplements. If I meet someone that I feel is malnourished, I may recommend more supplements. Uh, But something like glutamine, which is an amino acid, may help with sugar cravings. But from my experience, it's not as significant as just working with someone's eating patterns, hydration, exercise, more of their lifestyle habits. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, it's not as effective. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I really don't mess with it much. Um, Something like an omega-3 fatty acid or like a fish oil could be helpful. Uh, Cinnamon may be helpful in regulating blood sugar levels but I really don't recommend these supplements frequently with my clients. I don't, I don't, I'm definitely more of the food first approach. Okay. That's very cool. And I know you, you said sleep, but that's also because if you're tired, you're more likely to reach for the sugary treat or pick me up in the afternoon. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It can also alter your hormone levels and your appetite. So you may feel hungrier if you don't sleep as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. One of the things you wrote, and I'm going to link to it with your 10 dietitian approved tips for managing your sugar cravings after quitting drinking. And I know some sugar cravings are fine, right? Like you don't need to. The most important thing you're doing is taking away the substance that you're addicted to, right? That's number one. One thing I didn't know was when you talk about moving your body, whether it's walking or dancing or swimming or yoga or biking, you said it both helps stabilize your blood sugars and reduce stress and anxiety increase muscle mass and metabolism. And just to be clear, I'm, I'm totally reading off your tips, but I didn't know 
when you said a collection of studies suggest that regular exercise can increase the abstinent rate for substance use by 95%. That's crazy. That's insane. It is crazy. And I see this, I see this statistic on posters in treatment centers too. And I love, I love going to treatment centers that actually encourage healthy habit, healthy eating and exercise, because I feel like it is really important in early sobriety and sobriety in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of wild. It is. I feel like uh, I feel like you should get a uh, like a personal trainer in recovery or someone like that to talk to. I would love to learn more about that as well, like how exercise can really strengthen someone's recovery. I think it goes hand in hand with nutrition. I think some people will say like, you know, diet is 80 percent or, you know, exercise is 20 percent in terms of your physical goals. Mm-hmm. but. I don't know. I in terms like, of your mental health and I mean, <laughs> feeling like you're doing something positive. I mean, I know exercise in my early sobriety, I was doing it pretty consistently, like four days a week, five days a week. But it, you know, I had been hungover most days, you know, before still exercising, but feeling awful in the morning, doing burpees with a bottle of wine in my belly, like Christ, the worst when you're going upside down when you have headaches. But exercising, one, it made me feel like I got my anxiety out, right? Like I, it just got my body tired to, I got to talk to people and see adults and we got to be friends, right? People who work out early in the morning for me, they don't tend to drink the way I did. I also felt like I'd done something healthy for myself as opposed to, you know, that idea of like, I have nothing for myself. I do every, like that martyr complex, right? When you have kids or work or a demanding boss or, you know, a spouse who travels or whatever it is. And I felt like I was like actually taking care of my body and getting stronger and getting healthier as I moved away from alcohol. So it had all these benefits that completely separate from any kind of weight loss. Like I just, I could feel it if I didn't work out for three days, like I was resentful and I was annoyed and I was more anxious, you know, and more lonely, even if you see people all day. Yeah. Those are all really good points. And actually looking back, I, feel like I exercised the most when I got sober. It was definitely a coping mechanism for me early on. I remember I was doing orange theory, which was really intense for me. Now I'm more of the yin yoga, yoga kind of person, but I was doing the orange theory and yeah, it really helped me in, in early sobriety. It really did. It was a great outlet for me, but you know, the way that I look at it is you can't have your physical health without your mental health. Yeah. And so eating, yeah, it goes back to that having that self-love and nourishing yourself in as a form of self-love mm-hmm. and eating foods that are really, are really important for your uh, brain function and eating for your mental health. Yeah. 
that's that to me is super interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if anyone's listening to this and is like, I mean, that's fabulous that you do all this um, and is frustrated because they have issues with their body or limitations or are nowhere close to being able to do X, Y, Z. I just want you guys to know that in the seven years since I've quit drinking, in the beginning, I was like super proud of myself. I'm getting healthy. I'm doing a 10K, all that kind of stuff. In the last three years, I figured out that I, you know, I had a ton of pain in, in my hip and was like limping around like I had a peg leg. And it turns out that I've got a torn and detached hip labrum, which is like this band that holds basically your thigh bone into your hip socket. And I've gone to like multiple surgeons and all this stuff. And basically, like, I just need to manage it. Like, I'm not ready for hip surgery, but I'm too bad for labrum surgery. I did PT for a year. So like, for the past three years, I haven't been able to run or jump or do like hip workouts and even walking. Um, I limp sometimes. So like, I completely get how frustrating it is if your body just doesn't allow you to do this stuff. And, you know, it took me a long time of being annoyed to now I'm just like, okay, I just signed up for Pilates on the reformer again, because it doesn't require my body weight on my hip. And finally, I I got an elliptical after avoiding it for three years because it's the only exercise that like I can do, like even bike riding is bad. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, that's fabulous that you can do X, Y, Z. I get it. Like even yoga is really hard for me with all the like bending of the legs. So just find something, anything that works for you. I remember I also did swimming in early sobriety and I found that really calming, like really, I swam really slow. I even took swim lessons, like literally with my daughter, I got a semi private, because I wanted the, you know, 90% was with my daughter, but I wanted, um, I hadn't taken swim lessons since I was like 10 years old. So like, okay, is there a way to modify my strokes? Or, you know, like, what am I doing wrong with my breathing, but being underwater and that it was like, weirdly calming. Yes. Yes. I, that's so funny. You said that I just got back into doing laps and because I used to be on swim team and in high school, I used to do the breaststroke and it is so calming, but even, it doesn't even have to do be laps, you know, just, just bouncing around in the water is so calming and great exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a busy going underwater and like that, pressure on your ears and like it's just cool it's so relaxing and so calming I love that yeah I had to get over like my daughter it was like I was like just fucking suck it up because a didn't love being in a bathing suit b I was doing semi-privates and my teacher I kid you not was like a 15 year old boy like, I was just like, dude, I am over 40. And he was, <laughs> he was like, uh, okay. And all the other kids in the pool with me were like eight years old. So I would, with their parents like sitting around, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do this. Good for you. Good for you. Yes. It was like an That's exercise of being humble. 
That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. It can really, it can really help with mood and getting those endorphins. Uh, and also it can help lower your blood sugars a little bit too. So even taking a walk mm -hmm. after a meal can help regulate your blood sugars. And with that, you might have better energy and mood throughout the day. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Fantastic. Really quick. I know we're going on long. Can we talk about some of the bogus information that's out there that you hear? Oh, wow. Well, I hear most of my bogus information from my clients. <laughs> I love that. I'm yeah. I bet that's true. Right. I'm not there Googling. I hear about a different diet every week, like a diet I've never heard of before. Yeah. Recently, recently it was the, um, the one gallon of milk a day or something. Oh, oh, Matt, wait, no. Oh, Matt is one meal a day, but this, this kid was doing one gallon of milk a day to gain weight. I don't know. There's just a diet for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and intermittent fasting. I hear that all the time. Tell me about that. Oh my goodness. So yes. And intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting and keto diet are the ones that come up frequently because I feel like those are the most trendy ones. Uh, intermittent fasting, there are some interesting studies about cell regeneration and health for intermittent uh, using intermittent fasting, whether that's an eight hour eating window or a 10 hour eating window. Everyone does it a little bit differently. I, I found, but in early sobriety, and if anyone has history of an eating disorder, or if anyone's been on a lot of diets in their life, I would not recommend intermittent fasting because it does promote overeating and almost binge binge behavior in a way. And so it is a little risky in early sobriety too, if someone's trying to like, for example, lose weight. So they cut out breakfast and they cut out dessert. They might lose weight, but they also may feel a little deprived, a little restricted, and they may already feel deprived and restricted because they gave up alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that's a double whammy. And that person may have more sugar cravings or more, more cravings for alcohol. When they they're may, hungry, right? Which is a huge trigger. Which is a trigger. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's risky. It's very risky. Um, but I find I find there's clients that do intermittent fasting for health reasons. And then there's clients that do intermittent fasting for weight loss. And so it's a bit of a different conversation, but my recommendations are the same. Early sobriety, don't touch it because it's all about in early sobriety, trying to stabilize your blood sugars and getting to a place of uh, where you feel really comfortable with your appetite and your eating habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Cool. And then, you know, there's keto diet, but as far as like bogus information on sugar cravings, I think there's a lot that pops up about supplements, which, you know, are not addressing all the tips that we just covered, just, you know, throwing supplements at people. It doesn't get down to the the root of really what's happening. Uh, and then also going on like no sugar cleanses or juice cleanses for in for people in early sobriety, that can be super restrictive. Yeah. And, you know, from a, 
a mental standpoint, like feeling restricted and deprived. Yeah. And what I found too is, I mean, I did this and so many of my clients did this. So for years, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to not drink. And the way I'm going to do that is to do Whole30 or some other diet that like doesn't allow drinking or I'm doing this to shed X amount of pounds. And the reason I don't recommend that is a diets are super restrictive many, many times and you're very hungry and you're grumpy and you can't tell whether you're grumpy and hungry and you know, your willpower is running out because of alcohol versus um, you're just not eating enough, right? And you've cut out everything all at once. But what I think is even more important is you are distracted and not paying attention to the emotional pieces of why you drink and the beliefs you have about alcohol and your relationships and your ability to socialize, right? You're sort of like, taking your eye off the ball and there's so much tied up emotionally and, and with your own self-esteem and with social anxiety related to not drinking and you're trying to ignore that and you actually have to work through that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that too. Yeah. And with diets too, it can feel like it's something to control, controlling your food, you're controlling your intake. It's something to focus on and yeah, it can be very distracting from the true healing that you're talking about. Yeah. 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 And so having, but taking a step back, quitting alcohol can be the healthiest thing you could do for your body. So that alone, even if you don't change any of your eating habits, that is so wonderful for your body. Your organs and your liver are going to be so happy. And then if you feel like it's time to and your brain, down the right? Like every your heart, like every single piece your your risk of developing cancer, your cells, like alcohol is incredibly bad for you. So if you're going gluten-free but you're still drinking, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you know what? That is that is a really good point, because if we're going to talk about health, we do have to talk about alcohol. And it's amazing how many, you know, dietitians or people in the health industry, you know, we can talk about avocado toast, but we won't talk about the three glasses of Chardonnay that you're drinking every day. Right. And so looking at the big picture, uh, alcohol, you know, it can be the most detrimental thing you can ingest. Yeah. And so just that alone can be the healthiest thing you can do for yourself. And then if you feel like your eating habits are pretty solid, don't mess with it. But then maybe down the road, fine tuning some of your food choices Yeah, can be part of your journey, but it doesn't have to be like right in early sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. And stats are like, if you drink three glasses of wine a week, and I'll have to look up the source of this, but you raise your breast cancer risk by 15%. No amount of avocado toast. I don't care how much you consume is going to nutritionally fix that. You know what? That is something that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. 
And thank you for bringing it up because yeah, that's, that's a real, that's a real stat right there. And yeah. breast cancer runs my family, you know, and that's something that I never wanted to think about or never wanted to look at. But now, and now that I'm sober, I can see the statistics and, and just see how, how detrimental it was on my body. I mean, my liver enzymes were elevated at one point. And that was when I was 28 years old. Yeah, I got sober when I was 28 years old. So it's, um, yeah, yeah. Did you seriously get sober when you were 28 years old? I drank for 14 years and that was enough. Yeah, that's crazy. I I got sober when I was 40. So good on you. That's awesome. I got sober right before I, um, right before I got pregnant with my, with my three-year-old. Yeah. And I felt, I felt like it's it's strange getting sober that young, especially with the gray area drinking that, uh, you know, I feel like most of your audience may be in that category because everyone else looking at me may think like, why would you quit drinking? Why would you do that? It's not that bad. Yeah. But for me, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I didn't like how it was making me feel. And I knew that there's some deeper healing to be done when I got rid of the the alcohol. And that was the first step. Yeah. Well, so I know you have so much more on your website, so much more information. I know you have a free guide. Will you tell us how people listening to this who want to learn more can find you, work with you, get your resources? Yes, yes. I think my website is the best place to go. It's uh, www.therecoverydietitian.com. And there I do have a free guide and some blog posts you can check out. But that's the best place to contact me as well if you are interested in nutrition coaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I would say I have social media. I technically do have social media, but I'm not on it at all. So I think the best place is my website. Yeah. yeah. And tell us about what your guide's about. My guide is called Food for Your Mood in Early Sobriety. So it covers a lot of the tips that we talked about, but I included my top 10 recovery foods. And it's really just jam-packed with different ideas of snacks and foods to include in your eating habits right now. Uh, and so... It's a fun little like little guide to help you fine tune your nutrition and to prevent sugar cravings okay. in early surprise. That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know I've learned a lot and I really appreciate you sharing this with everyone who listens. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's really wonderful to meet you and to connect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.